The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. Let the record rally melt up, roll on as stocks do something for the first time in more than 23 years. Social media echo chamber. Regulators out with new warnings about meme stock madness. Retail investors behind the trades. And the risk it all poses to the global financial system. Hacked. Robinhood disclosing details of a cyber hack that exposed the personal data of millions of users. Netflix taking on TikTok with a new short clip feature aimed at, you guessed it, your children. And it's not just stocks. We've got our eyes on yet another record in crypto. All happening on this Tuesday, November 9th. And this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you might be watching. I am Brian Sullivan, and once again, we are live in London, England, all week long, bringing you more of a global perspective. The show is called Worldwide Exchange, after all. So let's go around the world, starting with the U.S., and check how your money in the global markets are setting up their day. And we're not getting a huge indication from futures right now. Of course, this hour, it's very early, very thinly traded. I've said that a million times. I'll say it a million more. Dow futures down a touch. NASDAQ futures, though, those are really the ones to watch because technology, you might have heard about some of these tech stocks. They've been leading the rally the last few years. NASDAQ futures, they're up about two-tenths of one percent. Now, all the major averages coming off a record-setting day. What's new? With the Dow, the S&P, NASDAQ, and Russell 2000 all posting new records. The tally, if you are counting, on the second day of November, 44 record closes for the Dow and the NASDAQ. S&P says, get out of here with that. 64 record closing highs this year for the S&P 500. In fact, the S&P has now closed in record territory eight trading days in a row. That is the longest record winning streak since June of 1997. That's right. We are going back almost 24 years to find a streak like this in the market. That is something. All right, let's get a quick sector check. Technology and industrial, they're coming off record closes as well. Everybody yesterday buying into some of the industrial names that have anything to do with infrastructure. Doesn't matter if you're a subsidiary play, your stock probably got bought yesterday. And in crypto, Bitcoin hitting a new all-time high, rising above 67,000 for the first time ever. And Ethereum closing in on 5 Thousand. Right now, Ether is at 48.15 crypto. Something to watch today. All right, let's go quickly around the world now. The Asian markets, they were mixed. You had Japan down, the Chinese market up, and here in Europe, mostly higher across the board. Not huge gains, but we are more green on the screen. All this, even as European energy prices start to tick higher once again. We'll get more on that in a few moments. But right now, let us kick it off with more on that big hack of stock trading platform Robinhood, 
which may have exposed some of your critical personal data. Here with that and more key headlines to kick off your morning is Bertha Coombs. Good morning, Bertha. Hey, good morning, Brian. Robinhood says hackers gained access to its systems last week, stealing the personal information of millions of its users. In a blog post, the trading app says the hack took place Wednesday and has since been contained. About 5 million users' email addresses were exposed, as well as the names of about 2 million additional users and even more personal information of about 300 more users. Robinhood says no social security numbers, bank accounts, or debit card numbers were exposed in the hack, and customers have yet to experience any financial losses as a result. Meantime, the Federal Reserve is warning that market volatility relating to meme stocks could pose a risk to the U.S. financial system. As part of its semi-annual report on financial stability, the central bank says new trading platforms, flashy graphics, zero commission trades, and fractional share buying are all contributing to the growth of a new generation of retail investors. And the sheer size of that cohort makes it important for regulators to watch. From the report, quote, social media can contribute to an echo chamber in which retail investors find themselves communicating most frequently with others with similar interests and views, thereby reinforcing their views, even if those views are speculative or biased. Now, the Fed adding it is also watching China's real estate sector and risks of spillover into the U.S. Meantime, Hertz is going public once again after emerging from bankruptcy earlier this year. The company says it raised $1.3 billion in a re-IPO, selling 44.52 million shares at $29 each at the top of the expected $25 to $29 range. Shares are set to start trading on the NASDAQ today under the tickler HTZ at $29 a share. Hertz will be valued at $13.7 billion. You can catch the company's interim CEO, Mark Fields, on Squawk Box at 8.10 Eastern. Brian, back over to you. You know, London looks good on you. It's like there's this je ne sais quoi that you that you kind of allude over there. I don't know what je ne sais quoi means. You see what I just did there? No, you know what's amazing? You know what looks good on I see. You, what you you, did you, ah, see? You know, there we go. You know what looks good on all of us? Sleep. What's Sleep that? looks yes. I feel like fifteen years I know. You know, all this stuff of the meme stocks, Bertha, I'm not saying you and I are old. I would never say that. We look fantastic. Reminds me of 1998-99. I posted a cover from Forbes in 1998. Day traders, kids in their 20s, using the AOL chat rooms and Yahoo chat rooms. Remember those to to teach Wall Street a lesson. You You remember that? But what's what's different this time from the chat rooms is that they actually are being paid attention to in the boardrooms. You know, I was listening to the Clover Health call yesterday, and they took a couple of, of Reddit questions. Elon Musk is known to do that as well. So there's a whole different dynamic that's happening where people actually pay attention to them. Well, they sh- it is, to be fair, it's a lot bigger, it's a lot faster, and there's a lot more money on the line. Bertha, we will see you in a few minutes. Thank you very much. All right, up next on this busy Tuesday, what kind of dangerous game is Vladimir Putin playing in Europe right now? Why what's happening with one key pipeline could be very telling. Plus, a major SPAC bet on social media with huge returns. 
We'll tell you about next door. And later on, move over Apple and Microsoft. Sort of. There's a new entrant into the $2 trillion club. We'll tell you who it is. That's your mystery chart. Shouldn't be too hard. Can't guess that. I'm not sure I got anything for you. We'll tell, tell you all about it coming up. And Worldwide Exchange rolls on right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. All right, welcome back. As Europe stays on the knife's edge of an energy crisis this winter, Vladimir Putin is, not surprisingly, showing he wants no sign to help. Tracking data shows that natural gas flows on a Gazprom pipeline cutting them all from Russia to Germany continue to flow east, not west. In other words, instead of bringing natural gas to Germany, the gas is flowing from Germany into Poland. And there's already concerns about energy shortages across much of Europe. So what does this mean for gas prices and the coming winter? Let's get more insight now from Carlos Torres Diaz. He is head of gas and power markets research at Rystad Energy. There's a lot to get to, Carlos, one of the reasons that we are here this week. Uh, what do you make of what is going on with Russia, Putin, and the pipelines? Well, there's definitely a lot of uncertainty in the gas market at the moment, and it's all driven by how much gas Russia will be supplying in the coming weeks. Uh, so far, we haven't seen any of these additional supplies from Russia materialize, and this is what is driving all the uncertainty. So, yeah, it's like um, if we don't see the additional gas supplies, prices are likely to remain very high. And if we go into a colder than average winter, then it, it could be even higher. Yeah. And, and we have been here talking about how there is very little supply of natural gas here in the U.K. Thankfully, wind power has started to come back up. They had kind of a dry wind spell there. We're starting to see it pick back up. But Europe is still in a difficult situation does it seem to you, and I'm not going to ask you too much, Carlos, to put your political hat on, don't worry, that Vladimir Putin may be playing political games, shockingly, to try to get the Nord Stream 2 pipeline approved? Well, yeah, there's definitely a lot of speculation around this. The official communication from Gazprom is that they were refilling their, their storages before sending more gas to Europe. Now, they apparently, they have managed to fill this, and then it's just a matter of sending the additional supplies to Europe. So it could be a, a way to to like move forward the like the certification of the Nord Stream two pipeline faster. Definitely, I really don't think that the that the higher Russian flows will materialize until the Nord Stream two pipeline uh, comes online. At least not at that large extent. Yeah, and if we could put that chart, guys, back up that we just had. If we had a chart, Carlos, of Dutch natural gas futures, and I know a lot of our viewers in the United States are saying, "Why the heck are you showing?" 
Dutch natural gas futures. Why do I care? Well, this is the European story. That is in euro per megawatt hour. We are off our highs. We hit over 100 euro per megawatt hour a couple of weeks ago. But we're still, what, 400 percent above the five-year average. What does that mean for Europe, and where do you see that going? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the prices reached their record high on, on like, due to this uncertainty about Russian supplies and also the very low stock levels uh, across Europe. And then they started to decrease only on the speculation of Russians sending more gas and the, the comments based on, on Putin like uh, uh, ordering gas from to send more volumes. But given that the, that the flows have not materialized, then we've seen a rebound in prices over the last few days uh, due to the continued uncertainty. But definitely this level is still very high uh, like for the European payers, like both industrial and residential. So this will really hit the economy of the region if the prices remain at a very high level for the remainder of the winter. And the most likely thing is that they will actually remain very high. Do you think that they will, Carlos? Well, very likely, yes, at least until December. Uh, once that, like we enter January and that there's a bit more centered certainty about how the rest of the winter will be developing, they could be correcting and, and dropping, but it's likely that they will remain at the very high level for the remainder of of this year, and yeah, and then the, the people in the industry will have to be ready to pay the high bills. What is the best case scenario for Europe? I'm going to try to end this on an optimistic note because it's a scary time for a lot of people that are going to be facing crushing power bills, even with regulated caps. What is the best case scenario? Is it all about the weather right now, Carlos? Definitely weather is playing a bigger role than it normally is because there will be less supply flexibility. So if the winter turns out to be milder than the normal, then this will really help prices correct and, and maybe come out of the current highs. And also there is potential for seeing additional supplies from Russia, even if I believe that the major supply will be coming until Nord Stream 2 is commissioned. I think there's still potential for seeing higher supplies from Russia. So the combination of milder Mild temperatures and higher supplies from Russia could really help improve the situation. Oh, so basically, Europe is counting on two things, the weather and Vladimir Putin. Could be a tough winter. Carlos Torres Diaz of Reistad Energy, thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right, still on deck. Your big money movers of the morning. Three key stock stories to start your day. Plus, the battle for your kids' eyeballs. What Netflix is now doing to take on TikTok. Today's big number, $1.2 trillion. That's how much faster digital connections powered by 5G and the Internet of Things could boost global GDP by 2030, according to a report by McKinsey and Company. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older like a family vacation or starting your dream business welcome to connie's coffee how may i help you aarp's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds that's why the younger you are the more you need aarp start planning today at aarp.org money tools this podcast is supported by fedex dear small and medium businesses no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. 
like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back. Time now for some of your big money movers. Three stock stories of the day. Here we go. Shares of Nextdoor Holdings surging on their first day of trading yesterday and higher again in the pre-market now after going public through a SPAC with the blank check company Kosla Venture acquisition. The deal valued Nextdoor at $4.3 billion, generated about $674 million in gross proceeds. That means money. Nearly double its valuation in September 2019. Shares of video game company Roblox spiking as much as 35% in the pre-market after the company reported third quarter results at top expectations. Roblox says bookings grew 28% over the year, sales up 102%. That's a double. Company's net loss, though, did widen to 74 million bucks. All right, let's move on. Shares of TripAdvisor falling after missing top and bottom line estimates for the third quarter. Company also announcing its founder and CEO Stephen Coffer will step down from his role next year. Search for the possible successor is, as you might imagine, underway. That stock down about 7%. All right, let's get a check down some of this morning's other top headlines outside of the world of money and business. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with those. Good morning, Francis. Hi, Brian. Good morning. We start with the FBI now joining a massive investigation into how Travis Scott's Astroworld Music Festival turned deadly Friday night. Eight people lost their lives. Both Scott and Live Nation, the festival organizer, have pledged to cooperate with the ongoing investigation. At least 17 lawsuits have already been filed, and one attorney has 35 plaintiffs, all of whom were injured at the concert. That number is expected to go up. Actor Alec Baldwin makes a safety plea after the horrific shooting on the set of Rust. In a social media post, Baldwin said that every film or TV production using fake or real guns should have a police officer on the set to monitor the weapons. Police are still investigating that shooting. A successful splashdown for the astronauts returning to Earth after six months. The SpaceX Dragon capsule carrying four astronauts landed in the Gulf of Mexico off the coast of Florida late last night. They spent 200 days in space, but it was an all-smooth sailing. The toilet in the capsule was broken, so the crew had to wear diapers for the eight-hour trip home. One Georgia official is saying enough is enough with the whole elf on the shelf thing. The Cobb County Superior Court chief judge issued a playful order banning the popular holiday toy. Judge Robert Leonard joked that Santa's little helpers sometimes cause emotional distress for children. The judge joked that he won't hold Georgia residents in contempt if they wish to keep their elf on the shelf. You know, emotional distress for the kids, Brian. Talk about the parents who are up like doing at two o'clock in the morning. Hoping to see or hoping to move that thing. I have no sympathy for them, Francis, because you and I are probably up at that hour anyway, are we not? That's true. That's true. Or you, you know, you rush home or you wake up and you hope you beat the kids to it. Right? So either way, got to yeah, get on it. True, true story. Yeah, my seven-year-old said, Dad, am I naughty or nice this year? I said, you're very nice all the time. And he said, then can you not have Elf on the shelf because I'm scared of it? True story. Good. <laughs> That's what it's for. I'm going to get the extra creepy one from, like, the 1930s, you know, with the porcelain <laughs> face and the eyeball coming out. Yeah, creepy eyes, Francis. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. All right, Francis. Have a great day. You too. I'm not a very good father. 
All right, now to this morning's top trending stories, including Netflix trying to beat TikTok at its own game. Bertha's back with that and more. <laughs> Bertha, what do you got for us? <laughs> You are a great dad. Everyone knows that. Meantime, in a bid to attract younger viewers, Netflix is rolling out a TikTok-like feature aimed at children to help them discover programming. Oh, joy. Isn't that what you want? The Kids Clip feature will show short videos from the company's existing library of children's programming and will change every day. The effort, which Netflix is still calling a test, begins rolling out this week in the U.S., Latin America, Canada, Australia, and Ireland. And first it was billionaires, then movie stars. Now condiments are going where no one has gone before. Heinz unveiling its first Mars edition ketchup with tomatoes produced here on Earth, but in Mars-like conditions, you know, like the Martian. The company had a team of 14 astrobiologists work for nine months to produce the -the out-of-this-world tomatoes. And the experiment, which has been two years in the making, demonstrates the possibility of long-term food production on Mars, because you can't do it without ketchup, right? And not sure if this is going to pause its recent stock slide, but Peloton is finally rolling out a pause button for on-demand classes on its Bike and Bike Plus devices, with the company adding the feature to other products like its treadmill sometime in the future. Users who choose to pause workouts do have a price to pay, however. If participating in a live class, users will lose their rank on the leaderboard, though other metrics like personal records, challenges, and the like will uh, remain unchanged. I don't know, Brian. I just can't do the the competitive workout. I just want to go do it quietly, get it done, and not not have to do it so publicly. Yeah, and I'm just going to – I got a couple things to say. We got to recut that Netflix video. When you were talking about the kids' things, we were showing Squid Game at the top, and I'm thinking that is not the show (laughs) that you want your children to be watching, by the way. Like, literally had, like, scenes Uh, of a knife. Let's recut that VO, as we might say in the the news business. Here's the thing about Peloton, too. There are some people – I think Lance Armstrong must be on Peloton. It doesn't matter how fast you you pedal or how much the resistance is – there's people that just soar, like they just take off. I, I'm like, do these people yeah. have a machine hooked up to their bike just to set records? It seems impossible, but maybe I'm just old and slow. That's probably more like it. <laughs> I don't think you're either. I don't think you're. I, I admire you for even doing it. Call me. Again, I'm a private. Well, I, well, I private haven't, I haven't done it a person. lot lately. I, I have to admit. Yeah, yeah. I do the scenic rides. Those are kind of cool. I still want to know they film them. Bertha Coombs, thank you very much. See you in a bit. Take care. You know, if you're a Peloton user, what some of you are on a Peloton probably right now, you know what I'm saying? There's like freaks out there that just take off like they're Tour de France champions. Anyway, straight ahead, a major deal with Amazon. Not enough to help shares of PayPal. They're down right now. Details on what is set to be a rough morning for the stock ahead. And a little nudge, if you haven't already, follow our podcast. It's called Worldwide Exchange. Investors digging infrastructure stocks, buying them up in a big way. All this is the macro markets keep on trucking. The government looks to spend a billion or trillion dollars to fix the roads. The fight over the jab. President Biden doubling down, trying to force private companies to vaccinate their workers, even as the courts push back. 
and a CBC investigation you've got to hear. Even as Bitcoin and Ethereum continue to hit new records, how crypto ATMs can be used to carry out crimes. It is Tuesday, November 9th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Oh, welcome or welcome back and good Tuesday morning. Once again, coming live to you all week long from right there in London. All right, here's how your money and investments look right now as we are just about halfway through the 5 a.m. or 10 a.m. hour here in the U.K. Stock futures, they are a little changed, but we are watching the Nasdaq more than the Dow. And Nasdaq futures, they are up a little bit. They're up 27 points. Dow futures down 15. I mean, that's nothing, right? It's early, by the way, but technology is where it's at. And here's the question. Will stocks continue their incredible run. Well, here's maybe a, an RBI for you, even though we've got another RBI coming up later on in the show. 16 S&P 500 stocks are up more than 25% since October 1st. A 25% jump in six weeks. Names like Enphase, Arista, Tesla, Ford, even Marathon Oil, kind of a, a motley crew. Two of those stocks, Arista and Enphase Energy, are up more than 50 percent. Again, that is just since October 1st. It has been an unbelievable rally for things like electric car makers, battery maker, Enphase, Ford, getting a pop on its EV news, and then, oddly, an oil company. P.S. The worst performing stock this quarter is actually Moderna, down 36 percent, although don't want to make too much of it. It is still up 214 percent in a year, but maybe these oral antivirals from Merck and Pfizer that are coming out taking a little wind out of Moderna's sales. That stock down 36% in five weeks. All right, now to some of this morning's other top stories, including the White House digging in on its fight with the courts over forcing companies to vaccinate their employees, even as courts push back. Bertha's back with that and more. Bertha. Brian, the Biden administration is telling private businesses to move forward with its vaccine and testing requirements, despite a federal appeals court ordering a temporary stop to the rules. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, considered one of the most conservative appellate courts in the country, ordered the halt over the weekend pending a review. The White House is asking the court to lift the pause, calling claims of harm from the mandate by the Republican attorney general of uh, Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, South Carolina, and Utah, as well as several companies premature, saying deadlines on the matter are not until January. Meantime, McDonald's CEO is apologizing to the company's U.S. employees over text messages about deadly shootings in the home of its headquarters, Chicago. Chris Kamchinski met with workers Monday to discuss an exchange he had with the city's mayor, Lori Lightfoot, about the shooting deaths of two children in which he said the parents failed those kids. Kamchinski had previously apologized and has called the text wrong, plain and simple. And Ford raising $2.5 billion in the corporate bond market Monday as a part of its efforts to fund green projects on the back of the bipartisan infrastructure deal. The automaker says it plans to use money raised to fund its clean transportation projects. That will include designing, developing, and making a lineup of battery-powered vehicles. Brian, a lot of appetite for corporate bonds. It's unbelievable. Even basically junk bonds. I mean, companies whose yield would have been 10 percent a few years ago are trading at like three and a half 
and 4%. The world is just awash in money, and money is basically free to cheap. Bertha, thank you very much. All right, outside of all those headlines, we're also keeping an eye on shares of Coinbase today. It is out with quarterly results after the bell. Those figures coming as Bitcoin and Ethereum continue their march to all-time highs. Bitcoin above 68,000, Ethereum closing in on 5K. But even with all the love around crypto right now, the FBI is warning about crooks targeting crypto ATMs, with the criminals pushing people to use the machines. Eamon Javers has more on the CNBC investigation into these new kinds of ATMs. Welcome, all of you, to the city of Miami, to Bitcoin 2021. Here at the country's largest Bitcoin conference in Miami, nearly everyone is talking about cashing in on the crypto craze. We're the first Bitcoin ATM companies to try to push some education. You can do that in one transaction. You can utilize any wallet you'd like to use to store your cryptocurrency. And crypto ATM companies who make their money by charging a premium on each transaction are a growing part of the industry. With more than 26,000 kiosks around the country, these machines are a huge convenience. And also, they can be a huge target for fraud. How easy is it for criminals to exploit these machines? Seems like it's very simple. Lisa Cellino is counsel for the New Jersey State Commission of Investigation, which looked into Bitcoin ATMs, finding many operating with virtually no oversight, even though their owners must register with the U.S. Treasury's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. There's no ID collected. There's no photo taken. There's no address. And that opens the doors for criminals? Yes. And what do they do with it? I mean, anything from money laundering, dark web fraud, scams. The New Jersey Commission's report discovered more than $70 million deposited for cryptocurrency purchases between 2015 and 2020. Many companies allowed customers to buy up to $900 worth of cryptocurrency with only a cell phone number or no information at all. Is that a bad idea? Based on what we found, yes, because it could be any name and your cell phone number could come back to anybody. Which is handy for drug traffickers and money launderers, who the DEA says are using the machines to aid in the movement of illicit bulk currency. We wanted to see how easy it was to buy Bitcoin with just a phone number. So a CNBC producer tested it out at this machine in a New Jersey convenience store. After getting this text warning about crypto scams, it only took a few minutes to complete the transaction. A spokesperson for the companies that run the ATM said they take knowing customers' identities very seriously and will only allow transactions with just a cell phone number if they can verify who is buying crypto. If not, the machine will ask for an ID. Is someone of the Wild West? Mark Grenz, co-founder and president of Digital Mint, a Chicago-based company, is trying to clean up the crypto ATM industry. These customers would not believe that they want to be victims, and they would state, I'm going to go to other Bitcoin ATM companies who never ask me any questions and let me purchase how much ever I want. Digital Mint recently launched a cryptocurrency compliance cooperative to develop universal compliance standards. One study found nearly 75% of all the illicit funds leaving ATMs wound up at fraud shops, which are sites on the dark web that sell stolen credit card information. To buy crypto, Digital Mint requires customers to provide a government-issued ID that it verifies plus a phone number. One of Digital Mint's competitors is CoinFlip, also based in Chicago. The company allows someone to purchase up to $900 in crypto with just a name and a phone number. Higher amounts require more identification. Is that safe? It's 100% safe. and it's, Why? 
Even if someone shows an ID, if you're sending Bitcoin to someone you don't know, you have the same problem. CoinFlip wants to offer its services to a wide range of customers. We want everyone to be able to buy $50, $100, $200 of Bitcoin, regardless of their immigration status and regardless if they have an ID. Everyone who wants access to Bitcoin deserves to have access to it. We know how this system works. You know, we've been doing this for six years. We know how to keep people safe. New Jersey now has pending legislation that would require all crypto ATM operators to get a license in the state. Now, around the country, regulation varies widely, with some states requiring a license, while others have no oversight of this fast-growing industry, Brian. Amazing story there and something certainly we got to watch for. Uh, what is the justification, Eamon, for the companies that allow up to 900 to be sent with just a a cell phone number. I mean, this is not something you seem like you could do with just regular old cash. Why is this okay with crypto? Well, you saw the CEO of CoinFlip there explaining he really views, and I was struck by our conversation, he really views access to cryptocurrency as something like a human right. You know, he's talking about uh, undocumented immigrants, no. the unbanked, and he says he wants those people to be able to have access to cryptocurrency, and he doesn't want his, any friction involved in that transaction as all, or at least the least amount of friction possible. So it makes it accessible for a really wide array of people who are not in the traditional banking system to participate uh, in, in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. The problem with that, of course, is that the lower your security is, uh, the more possibility you have for fraud, Brian. Yeah, I mean, and, and obviously what he said is important, but you can also frame everything sort of in that way and say, well, don't ignore over this. We're focusing on that. I don't know what it's like near you, Eamon, where near where I live in New Jersey, it seems like every single sort of mom and pop owned convenience type store, I'm not talking about a 7-Eleven or a Wawa, but more independently owned, has a crypto ATM. And, and by the way, big banners on the outside promoting it. Yeah, this is huge, and it's come up pretty suddenly. I mean, these in, these things have been around for years now, uh, going back to 2014, 2015, uh, and later. Um, but, you know, people are not used to seeing them just yet, and I think the regulators are still catching up to this. Uh, what's interesting is it's a pretty decentralized industry. There's a lot of re relatively small companies. You know, we went to Chicago to interview those two companies out there, but these are not major financial institutions that are in this space. You don't see a lot of the big guys doing this. So the challenge for regulators is to find all the people who are putting these uh, machines out there in public and making sure that they're complying with at least some basic standards. But regulation, as you saw in the piece, it's all over the map. All right. Great stuff. As always, Eamon Javers, something we've got to watch for. Watch those crypto ATMs. Appreciate it, Thanks, my man. friend. Take care. All right, coming up, even more of your big money movers, including PayPal's new partnership with one, you know, e-commerce giant I'm guessing you may have heard about. But as we head to break, some other big headlines happening right now on this Tuesday morning. Today's alphabet is brought to you by the letter T, as in two trillion. Because Google's parent company briefly joining the likes of Apple, Microsoft, and Saudi Aramco and having its market cap surpassed $2 trillion on Monday, did slip back a bit, but still having one heck of a year. Macy's wants to pay its workers more, raising hourly wages to $15 and adding benefits to cover the cost of college tuition, books, and other fees. Moved by the retailer comes with the ongoing fight to attract workers in an ultra-tight labor market. And the brand founded by Kanye West has agreed to pay nearly a million dollars to settle a lawsuit 
for late shipment. The civil suit claimed the Yeezy brand reportedly failed to deliver online orders to customers when it said it would. We're back after this. All right, welcome back, because you might have not gotten enough the first time around. Here's now four big money movers. That gives us, what, four plus three? That's seven. There you go. On the day. Don't say we never gave you anything. Stock number one, PayPal. It's lower. Third quarter revenue missing expectations. Guidance for this quarter and next year was disappointing. That stock is down. The company also announcing a partnership with Amazon, allowing users to make purchases on Amazon using PayPal's Venmo app, not helping the stock off about 3%. Stock number two, Smile Direct Club. Shares there hammered. That is the tooth repair company reporting a wider quarterly loss and sales missed forecasts. It should be noted, NBC Nightly News once investigated Smile Direct Club's customer complaints a year ago. It's accused NBC Universal of publishing false information about the company and is seeking $2.85 billion for defamation. That stock is down nearly 22%. Stock three, one of the retail crowd favorites. What else? AMC, the apes, posting a narrower than expected loss for the third quarter. Revenue also topping expectations. CEO Adam Aaron warning. Theater chain still faces pandemic challenges ahead. That stock is down just under 5%. Aaron also revealing the company is exploring how it can accept Shiba Inu and other cryptos as payment. And that AMC is also exploring issuing its own crypto. AMC coin? Maybe. And stock number four, the real real. Really. Surging. After posting a narrower loss than expected for the third quarter. Revenue also topping forecasts. The real real up a real 15%. Wow. All right on deck. Just how long can this record-breaking stock rally roll on? Could it have more to do with rates than anything else? Allspring Global's Margie Patel and Seema Shah are both here with some actionable big-money advice just for you. Stick around. All right, welcome back. Well, we are in the U.K. all week. There's a view. That is a live look at London and St. Paul's just around the corner from the CNBC EMEA HQ. Hello, London. Another beautiful day. By the way, before we get into the RBI, can I just say, for what it's worth, London feels 100% back to normal. The tubes are packed. The streets are packed. The office buildings are packed. The restaurants are packed. The schools are packed. Haven't seen one kid in a mask. Not arguing for it or against it. I'm just saying, coming here... Just going across the Atlantic is a very different vibe than certain parts. Not for or against, just saying London feels literally 100% normal in a way. All right. Like I said, we are in the UK, so of course today's most random but interesting thing is going to have a little British flavor. No, not vinegar on French fries or ketchup-flavored potato chips, but power flavor and a little history. Because with the UIT Climate Summit continuing to go on in Scotland... And the U.S. talking about a potential looming energy shortage there and here, whatever. It is important to know our history and our future. Because while the future may ride with the wind and the sun, wind power is actually nothing new. In fact, the very first wind turbine was built right here in the U.K. and in Scotland, to be exact, near where the U.N. Climate Summit is. Look at that. And it was built in 87. No, not 1987. 1887. That's right. Old James Blythe, son of an innkeeper who became a professor, hated fossil fuels. He found them dirty, disgusting, expensive, and dangerous. So he built a windmill attached to a small generator on his home's roof. It worked pretty well. Soon after, 
He built another one on top of a nearby hospital, the first public utility wind turbine in the world, and it ran for 30 years. Now, Blythe died in 1906, and his turbines came down soon after. Sadly, his idea was apparently lost with the wind, because it wasn't until 1951, 63 years later, that the next wind turbine would be built in the U.K. But now it is the future of power in the U.K. and maybe the world. So a toast to Professor Blythe, who built the first wind power in two centuries ago. Random, but interesting. All right, back now to the markets. Stock futures pointing to a bit of a struggle for another day, but we're not worried about today, worried about the future. Let's bring in a couple of very smart guests. Margie Patel, Senior Portfolio Manager at Allspring Global Investments, and Seema Shah, Chief Strategist at Principal Global Investors. A rare end of WEX panel. Seema, I'm going to start with you because that little RBI about wind power was not just interesting, hopefully, about the Scots and their wind power, but it's because you have also written about the green energy transition. And we talk a lot about it and how in the short term it might be inflationary on certain levels. You think it might be inflationary on more levels. Explain. Yeah, hi, thanks for having me on. It's, it is, it's more uh, than just the, the basic kind of talking about energy transition and what's gonna happen to energy prices. We have to think about carbon pricing. We have to think about the, the, the carbon credits that companies are receiving, that's gonna be increasingly inflationary. If you just think about research and development that companies are going to have to to take on as we shift to this new um, greener energy world, um, you just have to think about things like um, the additional costs in terms of R&D, in terms of talent. Uh, There's so many things going on, and these are not just near-term impacts just for 2022 or even just up to 2030. These are going to be long-term impacts that companies are going to have to absorb from their cost base, and that will inevitably have an impact (laughs) on portfolio allocations and the way that investors are thinking about them. Yeah, and the inflationary story as it occurs, to your point, seem a lot more broad-based than we might think. And, Margie, it appears that inflation uh, is not going anywhere. I'm looking at uh, some research from Nordea here this morning in Europe saying they think that inflation is going to go even higher than it is now. Where do you stand on inflation? And when or where do you think the Fed may at some point react to it? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think inflation will stay a bit higher. I don't think it's really, really sustainable. I think that uh, ultimately we'll see inflation taper off and go down, as the Fed said. But what's more important is what the Fed thinks, not what we think as investors. And the Fed is committed to very low rates as far as we can see. So I would say it really doesn't matter uh, how high inflation goes. They have the ability to ignore it. And I think that's what they're going to do and be so gradual that we won't see any change in interest rates for the foreseeable future. Yeah, it's amazing, Margie. And I want to go back to you. We're looking at bond yields. The 10-year is back under 1.5%. I mean, I guess it's good news if you're trying to buy a home or you want to refi your mortgage. But I don't think, and let's be intellectually honest, there are many people in the world who would have said, at November of 2021, the world's reopening, inflation's booming, and the 10-year's under 1.5. What the heck is going on? Well, the history books would have told you that inflation would be higher and interest rates would be higher. But what's actually happened is I think the Fed realized, all central banks realized, that they actually have the power to control interest rates. They can't do it to the economy. They can't do it to the stock market. But if they throw enough money at interest rates, in fact, they can be successful. 
now that they're successful and they're, uh, we've seen Operation Twist fail, this has not failed. They simply need to throw billions and billions of dollars. And so I think they're going to stick with this policy and keep rates abnormally low compared to inflation, compared to economic growth than we've seen. So I think you can throw out the history books and say this is the new world that we're in and the Fed is really not going to change. Seema, would you agree with that point of view? I mean, that maybe low rates, if not here forever, are going to be with us for a long, long time? So I would agree that we're going to see low rates for a long time. I think the amount of debt that there is um, in the world does mean that the central bank can't really um, hike rates too aggressively. Having said that, I don't think we're going to stay near zero for forever by any means. I actually think that towards the end of next year, um, central banks, including the Fed, will have no choice but to actually start the normalization process. And we have to think central banks are also looking on to the future, right? They're not just thinking about what's going on in 2022. They're thinking about what happens in the next recession. They need to have a bit of a cushion. So once economic fundamentals are strong enough, um, the labor market has got to that, that maximum employment that they're looking for, it will be in their interest to start raising interest rates so they do have that cushion for the next downturn. What's the greatest risk out there, Margie? I'm here in London this week, and we're talking about the energy risk, not just to Europe, but to the world with what's happening in China, even Latin America as well. If food inflation is likely to surge as fertilizer costs rise, when you look at all the risks that are out there, maybe it's cyber hacking, like Scott Minard says. What do you think is the biggest risk right now to global growth and the markets? Well, I think the biggest risk continues to be in the emerging markets, uh, Latin America and in Asia, those countries tied to China, because they are all commodity-based companies with way, way, way too much debt. They haven't changed their economies. So they're the ones that are vulnerable to increases in other commodity prices, such as fuel, such as energy. So I think those areas unexpectedly weakening much more than current optimistic outlooks is the biggest risk to global uh, grows. But I do think countries like the U.S. and developed Europe are very, very strong and have the momentum. So I think all the risk is there in the emerging markets. Once again, as we've seen another uh, credit crisis that have developed. Seema, I'm going to ask the same question to you. When you look out, whether it is uh, green or clean energy inflation, whether it's fossil fuel inflation with what's going on, Vladimir Putin, what do you think is the biggest risk right now in the world? So if we're talking about specifically 2022, we're actually, we're we're most worried about those supply chains, right? Nothing can really move. We can't get labor participation back up until we get um, things moving on the COVID front, we get supply chains moving, and then inflation can start to come down. So that for us is going to be the the biggest watch point. And to be honest, it's really watching what the companies are saying. What are they guiding us um, in terms of the real life challenges that they're facing? If we don't start to see supply chains starting to ease up, then we should expect that inflation will stay elevated for much longer than 2022. All right. There is certainly a lot out there. Inflation seems to be the word cloud winner of at least the last quarter, if not the next year. Margie Patel, Seema Shah, appreciate both your insights. Thank you and have a fantastic day. All right. I've got to get to this breaking news. And if you own shares of LIDAR maker Luminar, Good morning, because you are having a good morning. Look at this. Luminar Technology, ticker LASER, L-A-Z-R. That is not a misquote. LASER shares are up 64.5% right now. 
because they just announced a deal with NVIDIA to put their LiDAR, which is laser radar technology, into self-driving cars. NVIDIA getting a bit of a pop on that news. But Luminar Technologies, it is up 63% on this news again. It will team up with NVIDIA to put this LiDAR, laser radar technology, into self-driving cars. And by the way, this is also random but interesting, and it's not about Scottish windmills. Luminar was founded by college dropout Austin Russell. He is 26 years old. He was already the self-made, youngest self-made billionaire, I believe, in American history. Think about his net worth now. Austin Russell, probably worth a couple billion more as of this morning, 26 years old. That does it for us. I'm sure Squawk and the Gang will pick up coverage on that next. We'll see you tomorrow. Take care. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.